this is Bob Groves, and welcome to our Provost podcast series, Faculty in Research. This week, I am delighted to welcome Dr. Emanuela Delgado, a Provost Distinguished Associate Professor in the Department of Physics. She's a theoretical physicist working on engineering motivated problems. She uses statistical mechanics and computational physics to model the structure and dynamics of engineering materials like gels, glasses, and amorphous solids. She's taught and conducted research in Italy, France, and Switzerland before coming to Georgetown. She's produced dozens of publications and writings within her fields. She's contributed to the new theoretical description of amorphous solids, specifically the material properties of concrete and cement. This research has been used in an effort to develop an environmentally sustainable form of these materials that have become so essential to our society and infrastructure. Emmanuel, I am delighted to, to be with you today, and thank you for coming. It's really a pleasure to be here. So how did you become interested in the topics that you're so passionate about now? So, as you said, I started as a theoretical physicist, and the thing that actually fascinated me most in my studies was the part of physics where you develop an understanding of the emerging phenomena, phenomena that belong to a system due to the fact that it's made of many, many components. And so it's phenomena and behaviors that you cannot understand and predict based on your uh, knowledge and understanding of one single component, but you really need uh, the collective behavior and their interaction to have those properties emerge. So from a theoretical physicist's uh, point of view, is, is that an unusual approach to one's selected area of emphasis? It's the approach that is more typical of what is called the statistical physics, and this is what actually attracted me from the very beginning. So as I get it, it's really how different materials interact that produces the puzzles you're interested in. Yeah, or another way of saying that is uh, where are the macroscopic behavior that we see as a result of this collective behavior, where are they originated, where are they coming from in terms of the interaction of the microscopic component. So tell us how concrete and cement came into this. How, How does that fit? Well, from, from that area, I started to be more and more interested in material science uh, and uh, because these uh, questions that I was putting forward, they are particularly interesting uh, for materials that are actually very common uh, in our everyday life, like glasses and plastics and composite materials. And this is also where a lot of new uh, material development can be done. So. Starting from there, I became more and more interested uh, in how my, if you want, abstract questions and the theoretical understanding that I was trying to develop would actually transfer into engineering questions, questions that are really related to, okay, what do I do with that? And this was uh, something that I developed a lot during my period in Switzerland where I was in a completely engineering environment and these questions were challenging me a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really interested in 
the movement between theory and application, mm -hmm. and, and are you telling us that you were drawn in uh, through your engineering colleagues to application, or did you actually seek them out? It is both. It is both. So I was feeling challenged by their question, okay, what you say is very interesting, but how can I use it? What is this for with respect to this practical problem I'm dealing with? And at the same time, the excitement to discover that some of the things that I was understanding actually had an impact and could offer solution in that area. And then uh, the realization that asking those practical questions actually was triggering and pointing out to new fundamental theoretical questions that I wouldn't have thought about, uh, you know, if I had just been sitting in my office uh, and thinking uh, just to the mathematics of the problem. Did you feel a pull and a push between uh, application and theory? I noticed that you still think of yourself as a theoretical mm -hmm. physicist, even though you're working in what could be applied areas. So mm -hmm. tell me how how the, that moment of working with a bunch of engineers affected your self-image. Did you feel like the other person in the group? Maybe at times, uh, but that part, I've, I think in the end, uh, it all goes into a problem of language. Because it's really the issue that uh, even uh, if we're all scientists and we work on sort of nearby disciplines, but we still need to develop some way to talk to each other and to translate the understanding and the words that we use into the words that are understandable and usable by the other community. So I did spend a lot of time actually trying to make this effort and to have this translation happen. And that's interesting because it also, it's an exercise, like when you would translate a bit when you translate, I guess, any language, also about how you think and how the other person think. Mm -hmm. It seems to me these two fields actually approach problems sort of in the opposite way mm -hmm. from a theory base. You're, you're trying to push the theory mm -hmm. and you're dealing with a big base of knowledge mm -hmm. and you're looking at puzzles on the fringes. but. From an engineering point of view, they have they have a problem that they want to solve, exactly, and yeah. uh, they are going to solve that problem uh, somehow. And it seems to me those are, those are sort of the opposite. Is that mm -hmm. true? Or I think it's true, and I think that that's why maybe I say I am a theoretical physicist because uh, I have that type of perspective and that type of uh, approach to the problems but I do realize that I have a lot to learn from this uh, uh, solution-oriented uh, uh, approach as well and as I said there are some questions down there that are uh, much more complex uh, and intriguing and deep that I would necessarily think of if I was just considering uh, the theoretical aspect mm -hmm. of things. So let's apply what we're saying yeah. to, to concrete yes. and cement. So how does a system approach yield so much insight? The issue with cement and concrete uh, is that this is a material that is uh, so important in our everyday life. There is at the moment no real substitute for uh, construction, for making houses and buildings and infrastructure. And because of that, you have a solution that works and you want to keep it as it is because it's, you have so many constraints and you need something that satisfies the safety requirements, uh, that it's cheap enough uh, and that is uh, available uh, everywhere. So 
there are so many strong constraints not to change anything in what we do. Mm -hmm. But then uh, you have to recognize at some point uh, that the material is not perfect, uh, that there is much more that you could do if you were able to actually design it in a more rational way. But it's very hard to do because it is a complex material. There is a lack of fundamental understanding of that. And this is what I, f what I found very exciting in this area, that it was a time where uh, people started to realize, uh, also in the engineering domain, that one needed to do a step back, to take a step back, and uh, try to understand uh, more the fundamental processes uh, through which the material was developing its properties uh, in order to change it or make it better or change other aspects of the production that you want to change. So does it take a lot of resources to create concrete? Uh, is it energy intensive? It is energy intensive as many other industrial processes. Uh, the aspect that it's really critical at this time is that production of concrete uh, is associated to an enormous production of uh, CO2. So the uh, concrete industry, and in particular cement production for, for concrete, uh, is responsible for something uh, like 5 to 8 percent of the whole man-made CO2. Of the worldwide yes. CO2 emissions. Yeah. Yes, and uh, because it's an industry that is so important uh, in our life and in our built environment, then this is really an important side where you could act to reduce actually greenhouse mm. gas emissions in a dramatic way. So is concrete production increasing globally? Uh, yes. Or is it an old material that people aren't using as much? So it is increasing globally because there is no valid alternative to what you can do with concrete. If you think about it, you mix cement with uh, water, you know, the mm -hmm. powder bag that you buy in the shop, and then you mix it with rocks and sand to make concrete. And you go from something that it's uh, fluid, that you can something you can pour at uh, room temperature that solidifies uh, within a few hours uh, at a level that you can walk on it uh, and you can live in it uh, and you can drive a car on it. So there is no other material that does that. What is interesting is that uh, this material is very dense so that that's why it's so strong but it's also very porous uh, which is sort of <laughs> counterintuitive and the porosity, the very tiny porosity that this material have is very important for uh, insulating purposes. So that's why actually concrete is so good for construction also because it behaves very well with respect to humidity for thermal insulation, for acoustic insulation. These are characteristics that you cannot actually obtain with uh, other materials so easily. And so let's say your research in this area is wildly successful. How would the world be better? So what we are after is a number of solutions, strategies to make the use of the material more rational and to optimize the material properties so that, for example, you can do more with less 
and you would need, uh, let's say, uh, less concrete, less cement for uh, the same material performances. You can uh, design uh, cements that are particularly resistant and durable in specific environmental conditions where, for example, you have high salinity of the air or of the water or where you have uh, harsh climat climatic conditions. And also you can start to think how can you make materials that have similar properties to cement, but they do not uh, require the same uh, environmentally impactful uh, processing that at the moment cement requires. And uh, you know, also being able to design the durability of the uh, infrastructure, for example, to have infrastructure that uh, within 20 years have aged in a better way, it depends a lot on the material properties. And uh, to be able to design uh, those material properties, as I was saying, for the specific environmental condition where that specific building of that specific infrastructure needs to be, can have an enormous impact in the quality of life, in uh, finances and economic mm -hmm. processes associated to all this. I guess I'd speculate in um, <coughs> doing this sort of research that your publications are a different mix of theory and application than you would have had if you had only done theory development. Mm -hmm. Is that what your contributions look like? There, there's probably more collaboration with non-physicists than you would have imagined before? Yes, yes, for sure. You know, you have the result, some results I'm happy about just because it's a calculation that it's, it was hard to do and it's an insight uh, that then I can use for other materials or for other problems, but then uh, there is the need to connect what we find to the material properties in the engineering context. And then there is a lot of collaboration with civil engineers, material scientists, chemists, geochemists, that it's actually extremely interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, in addition to, to working with a set of engineers that is a, a rare trait for a theoretical physicists, I would suspect you are a woman working in this field. So I assume in many of your meetings and research groups, you, you may be the only woman. Are there uh, protocols and insights that you've gained over the years in, in how to navigate these waters as a woman theoretical physicist? There are challenges, for sure, because you need to um, understand how to combine the way you would uh, more naturally behave and engage in social relationship and intellectual exchanges with the fact that the working environment is not necessarily so diverse and this has a number of consequences in the type of uh, the, the interactions that take place. Having the experience that you were talking about, uh, I'm, you know, this just makes stronger the conviction that we have all to gain from a more diverse working environment, and that diversity of culture, of background, of uh, of all sorts of things, uh, it's uh, it's just a source of richness that needs to be cultivated uh, and uh, introduced more. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little about combining other parts of your life. You're, you're an active researcher, but you're also an instructor and a mm -hmm. teacher and a mentor to, to younger people. Do you see those two parts of your life as in conflict or are they synergistic? How do, how do you think of, of research and teaching and instruction in the whole of your, your career? 
they are totally synergistic because uh, what I like to teach independently from the course that I'm teaching or what I have the ambition to teach, let's say, is how we think and how we build our thinking through the things that we learn. So I'm very interested in uh, trying to communicate not only uh, you know, the final result, the law that you should know, the mathematical formula that you should be aware of, but also what is the, the thought process uh, that lead to that, uh, what are the implications of that law, and uh, where this came from in the way uh, people try to understand, uh, starting from usually in physics, is a natural phenomenon that triggered all that. And, uh, and so then this has to do a lot from my perspective with the research that I do. So tell us, uh, what's the most uh, fascinating thing you're doing right now? So my excitement level is very high at this moment on several things I have to say, but uh, one thing is the work of one of my students that is on, uh, on cement, where we started uh, trying to understand what is the origin uh, of the very strong cohesion that this material has, which is, of course, one of the reasons why we use it. And, you know, from a very fundamental point of view, it's an intriguing problem because basically what you can reduce the problem to is the fact that you have, uh, when you go to land scale that are, let's say, nanometers, you have charged surfaces, which are very highly charged, and they are charged with the same sign. So, in principle, they should just repel each other and uh, there would there should be nothing that sticks together in this material. Nevertheless, it is so sticky. Mm -hmm. Now, already many years ago, people have understood that the problem of two surfaces that are close together, that are equally charged, it's a more complicated one if you have uh, ions that are free to move, that bring other charges, uh, and they can uh, sort of neutralize the repulsion between the two surfaces and even bring actually some attraction. So this is the case of cement. But it's a very hard problem to solve because it really lives in a space of parameters that's not captured by any existing theory. And that's why my student had to set up this very complicated numerical simulations to compute the forces between these uh, surfaces in the case in which uh, that is relevant to cement. And what we, we just found out, collaborating, uh, this is with civil engineers uh, in the US uh, at MIT and uh, with the group of theoreticians in France, we just found out that the reason why this works so well, it's also because of water. I, all this is immersed in water, and what water does, because it's a very special fluid that it's able to reorganize itself in all sorts of complex ways, the water is actually able to reorganize itself around the ions in this very tiny space in a way that optimizes the packing of whatever is in between the two surfaces. Mm -hmm. And this makes, you know, this configuration of the two surfaces with the ions and the water overall so sticky because they are in the perfect uh, minimal configurations to, to be together. So the water is some sort of glue that glues the cement. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> and the collaboration with the French theoretician is, is because those theoreticians are experts of uh, electrostatic forces uh, in this type of uh, complicated situation, uh, and they have developed an analytical theory to that we thought maybe could 
uh, reproduce some of our results. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can see why you're excited. <laughs> well, Professor Delgado, I, I am overjoyed uh, at our conversation, and I thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, and I wish you uh, great luck and good fortune in your research as you go forward. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs>